Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's Corner 3 on a Monday morning. Presented as always by our friends at Mechdyne. Find out more about them at mechdyne.com. What's up, Scott Christopherson? How's it going, man? The world's changed a lot in Cyclone Nation since last last Monday when we did our a podcast. Yeah, the, the big 2-0 and week changes a lot of things. Yeah, nobody hates TJ Otzelberger anymore. The rotations <laughs> don't suck anymore. Uh, the offense doesn't suck as much anymore. The defense is, uh, not, uh, getting, or I don't even know, isn't, isn't getting worse like it was last Monday. Uh, I'm trying to think. Well, the time has no longer come for Chris Williams. Lots of things can be true at once. It was not looking good. I, I, I think I, for the first time had kind of, publicly stated that I, I doubted this team's chances to make the NCAA tournament in our column. And, uh, wow. How quickly two, two wins can, can change the tide. Yeah, man. It can quickly, quickly change the vibes. Uh, Iowa state with a 75 to 54 win over Oklahoma on Saturday at Hilton Coliseum. Uh, we're gonna talk a lot about that. We're also going to talk a little bit about Juwan Howard later on in the, in the show and everything that happened with him and Greg guard yesterday. Uh, but first things first, Scott, I need to get your review of your first experience as a fan at Hilton Coliseum. I knew that you were locked in when you texted me about halfway through the second half and you said, these refs suck. And I was like this, I was like, Scott is getting the full Hilton Coliseum experience. (laughs) He's all the way in and he now knows that the refs are the worst and no one should ever trust the officials. You know, the thing about the refs is, and this is what I, it's, it is hard to ref big 12 games, I think, because they're so physical, no matter when you pick and choose a spot to try to take control of a game, it's going to be very like, you've been letting them bang on each other and now they're not. But I just thought there was in the second half, like a three or four possession sequence where the game just went from the big 12 we've known the whole year to like, all of a sudden now they're enforcing some ticky tack stuff. I can't even remember the particular plays offhand, but in, in three or probably three out of four or all four out of four of the calls that I was thinking of went against Iowa state. So naturally as a fan, you're, you're frustrated with that, but I just don't get the, the, the reffing of how they, and when they pick and choose to like jump in and all of a sudden just completely change the way the game is officiated is, uh, frustrating but uh, i would full disclosure be the worst referee to ever live so we had a lovely time i I, it was a great time we uh yeah my wife thought the the environment you know she'd never been to anything like that so that was uh like an eye-opening experience for her she loved it i had her talked into going to the big 12 tournament together but we couldn't find anyone to uh come along and nanny with us for the weekend with the boys so we're we're gonna sit this year out but i think i can get her down there for the following year man so is she like not a basketball fan at all like has just never even been yeah she did not grow up in a family like like she grew up in a music family and she was an art student in college so yeah just didn't really grow up around the game um wasn't a big part of her upbringing at all and she, you know, has been like, she is a, lives near green Bay. So she's been to some Packer games, but definitely I would not describe her as like an avid Packer fan. But mm-hmm. when I started doing this stuff for cycling fanatic this year, 
you know, you kind of start judiciously watching all the games and she would watch them with me. And after a couple of them, and it helps that Iowa state started off so well, but she's like, this is way more enjoyable to, of a sport to watch than football, which starts and stops. And yeah. she's like, I love the up and down of it. And I think she really enjoys like the intensity of it, you know, kind of everybody, you got 15,000 people, they're all boxed in together and it's very up and down. So, uh, I, I think she's hooked. I think she, I think she, we can call her a clone fan, man, man. That's a big leap to go from one game at Hilton Coliseum to a whole week spent in Kansas city, watching basketball in the, in the Mecca of college basketball. Yeah. I had to sell her a little bit on, you know, I thought that, you know, seeing Kansas city, the restaurant scene down there would yeah. be fun, the power yeah. and light district. Yeah. I don't think she would be someone that would go to like every game the whole weekend and just be like diehard, but I could definitely get her to go to the cyclone games and, you know, have some fun on some dinner dates and things like that after. You mean you're not going to get her out to uh, to Oklahoma and West Virginia so that you can sit and break down the intricacies of Bob Huggins's press? You're like, you're not that, not that. Yeah, no, yet. that's no. we're the, not there yet. Yeah, maybe, but I, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh man, that's what uh, me and my buddy Leif, even if uh, if if Iowa State loses early in the tournament, we're going to stay down there all weekend. Just. We used to go to the National Junior College Tournament in Hutchinson, Kansas, which is like, man, for anybody who loves basketball, it is a really, really fun time because it's just a full week of basketball, you know, and there is not shit to do in Hutchinson, Kansas. Like Kansas City is awesome because there's stuff to do in Hutchinson, Kansas. When you go there, there's one thing to do, and that's watch basketball. And uh, that's what like to us, you know, is what makes it fun is you just go and watch a bunch of junior college basketball. You never know who you're going to see play. Like I saw a bunch of great players that have have gone and played down there. Uh, But it's like Kansas City. I was talking to him. I was like, Kansas City is a good mix of like having other things to do, but also getting to watch a bunch of really good basketball. And that's like the best part of it. You know? Yeah. And the environment, I always thought like playing in it, just there's an energy to that area when that event's going on. And, you know, I, I look forward to the following year going. Yeah, for sure. All right. It, uh, you got to make it for a good one. Uh, Iowa State played really well in the first half of the game. Man, shot 80% from the field. Uh, or not 80% from the field, but 75% from the field, 80% from three, going four or five. As good of a half as I thought that Iowa State had played, it at minimum in a long time, potentially the entire season, I think, uh, and then the second half was a little bit rocky until the very end when, man, that last 15-0 run felt like vintage Hilton Coliseum. You know, that was – it had been a long time since you had seen where, you know, when the boulder starts to roll downhill in that building and you hit, hit a couple shots and you start to get going on a run and you get some stops and it's just like the way that the momentum can build – and all of a sudden you look up and it's been two minutes and you've scored 15 points in a row and you're up 20. And it's like, holy cow, I forgot how quickly things can turn when they start to get it rolling, you know? And even though they had been winning there throughout the year, I felt like this was the first time that it had really, you'd seen that again, you know? And that was fun. Like I thought that that was the, the most memorable part of the game because it felt like the moment when not just is Hilton Coliseum rocking again, but Hilton Coliseum is back at its full capacity as one of the toughest places to play in college basketball. And not, you know, they've lost a couple games there here recently, but just to be able to see that, I don't know. That was fun. That, that was what I came home and I was like, you know what? 
It felt it like felt, an Iowa it, State it home felt game really again. good. Yes. It felt it, like an Iowa State home game again, you know? Yeah. And I think that you, that is what has made uh, Hilton so tough to play in is, you know, the team cannot perform all that well. And all of a sudden one guy hits one shot and you make a hustle play. And it's like the crowd just motivates the team to go on a 10 or 15 to 0 run and it, it's game over. So, no, it was great to see. Um, I thought Tyrese was is really what is the difference maker for this team offensively. I mean, I, I, I said this yesterday in the Twitter video that I made, but when you look at the Texas game in this game uh, against Oklahoma, I mean, he looked like a junior or senior out there just conducting the flow and pace of play. And when he does that, it, the, the quality of shots that everybody else gets to shoot and the quality of like long closeouts that it creates for other guys that, to be able to attack, it just, it, it, they're, they're different looks, they're different closeouts. To me, that was what was, what was the big difference. Obviously Isaiah was phenomenal, but he's been phenomenal in a lot of games this year, games that we still haven't as a team played very well. And so, you know, hopefully Tyrese is kind of after going through this gauntlet, uh, you know, le tough learning curve of the Big 12, like, man, if they can get him going the last four or five games where he's confident and dictating pace like he was and, and the decision making is there. Um, I don't think this team is going to be, you know, an 80 point to team, 80 point to a game team. But I think that getting to 65 or 70 is going to be much more attainable for them on a consistent basis. Uh, with the way that they guard yeah and it, it it went back again to what we talked about last week when uh when this team shoots somewhere in that range of 14 to 17 three-pointers they're getting so much better looks you go eight of 15 from three uh against oklahoma uh shot 10 threes in the second half after shooting only five in the first but which was fine they they got good looks just the quality of shots that they were able to get was so much better, you know, and it, you can see that they are being even more deliberate about playing at a very slow pace offensively and being like, we are going to be very deliberate and in getting into our stuff and running our stuff and not just standing around, you know? And I think that that's a, a significant positive. I think you've seen them make some shifts to some different things as far as changes. They, they made some slight changes to their horn set. They made some change, uh, and then they've gone to a little bit more of that motion set that they've been using recently with the five out. And I, I think they found something a little bit with that smaller lineup where you put jazz at the five, you can bring, bring Jaden Walker in who probably is technically a guard, but like plays kind of like a small four with the way that he can get in there and rebound. Right. Like I, right. You know, we saw at times some flashes of some ability from him last year when he was a freshman and he had to play for that team that was not very good. But, man, he really gets up on some of those boards, you know. And I'm like, I, it's one of those things where you're like, dang, like I, I, you don't see that in him, you know. And then all of a sudden he's right up there with Isaiah Brockington and, and snagging a rebound and or, or keeping a play alive. And, you know, that's where I want to give that kid some credit because – you know, he only played 10 minutes on Saturday, but I thought that they were 10 really important minutes that kind of helped turn the tide of the game with that smaller lineup. Yeah, no. And it, I think it, uh, it, it makes the other teams rim protectors make a choice when you have jazz at the five, right. You know, mm -hmm. are you going to just allow jazz to kind of shoot in rhythm shots? And I think he's a guy that brings a different dimension when he has the ball in his hands up at the top of the key away from the basket as a big, you know, I think he, 
little bit better decision maker, a little bit more skilled dribbling the ball. And so I just think it changes the way other teams guard. And, you know, the Iowa State, as well as they shot it from the perimeter, you know, they were able to get the ball into the paint on a consistent basis and get to the rim on a consistent basis. And defenses don't like that. When you do that to defenses, they're going to, they, they're going to say, we can, we cannot allow this to keep happening. They're going to make adjustments and try to bring help. And when you have the floor space with a smaller lineup and a five who can shoot it, now it makes them pay a price where when you have certain lineups out there with guys that you don't really have to guard 16, 17 feet away from the basket and you pull them to that and they just say, okay, well, fine, shoot it, make a play off the dribble. You will let you beat us. You can't do that with jazz at the five or even with Jeff. I thought jazz and Tristan out there together. <laughs> and I thought Tristan had some nice moments on Saturday. Yeah. He didn't have a 20 point game, but some nice aggressive takes to the basket, nice act activity on the rebounding. So, you know, there might be something to, to getting Jaden Walker in there and playing a little bit more with his versatility as kind of a hybrid three, four man, you know, Tristan and jazz are both, uh, you know, guys that can step away from the basket and you can't just not, guard them as long as they're able to rebound the ball well enough defensively that's probably something you go to a little bit more because i mean if they want to post iowa state iowa state just traps everything anyways you know what i mean so what's and then they just scramble out of it so you actually have a little bit better of a a more versatile scrambling lineup anyways as long as you can maintain uh what you need to do on the defensive rebounds I think there's a lot to like about playing a little bit more small ball. Yeah. And I think it gives them an interesting, I mean, it, it helps a little bit to bring those guys in there because with the way that they like to do their ball screen coverages and you want to ice, if they want to ice ball screens and things like that, and really try and, you know, be aggressive in those scenarios, you've got to have someone who's athletic enough to keep guards in front of them. And this is not, a knock on George, but Manny has a really hard time of keeping those guards in front of him sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that creates some really easy opportunities and it gets them into those scramble situations that you and I have talked about with the overhelping and things like that, where all of a sudden now everybody's trying to fly around and fix mistakes, right. you know, and make up for things. And just being able to have those little tweaks that you can make where, you know, your rebounding is not going to drop off. You're going to have some mismatches you can create on the offensive end. And then you can still keep some of that, that defensive versatility that you need. I thought that did a, it was huge in being able to make Oklahoma uncomfortable. And we talked about how important that was of making them uncomfortable. I mean, they could hardly get into their stuff after those first couple possessions, they had two really good or three really good possessions to open the game. They, they took an eight zero lead. And then from then on, it was game on, you know, and uh, they had a, they couldn't do anything they wanted to. I mean, the Groves brothers, had a really difficult day. It was not a, a good day to have a last name Groves, I will say. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think, you know, and again, we're not talking about going to 40 minutes of small ball. And I mean, no, it's, just, no. it's nice to have something to go to. It's a change up. It's, it's a change up. It's, yeah. um, you know, you're, you're maybe sacrificing, uh, you know, something on the boards, but you know, when this team can get to 65 and 70, it's going to have a very good chance to win Mm -hmm. a good chunk of basketball games that obviously for a period in the big 12 was a challenge. So, you know, to see the success they had offensively on Saturday, especially with the small ball lineup in there, you know, if that's something that TJ can continue to go to that can manufacture more offense for this team, uh, you know, that's, 
those are the types of coaching adjustments that you want to see as the year goes on. Mm-hmm. All right. Where, where do you want to continue to see this team progress from here now? Like they've made some significant strides, but there's obviously still room for improvement. They went through that stretch in the second half where things got a little bit stagnant, still offensively and Oklahoma was able to cut the lead back to down to five, I think is as low as it ever got uh, before the, the big run to end it like that. This team still needs to continue to grow, but it feels like they made some significant strides last week. I just, I thought the thing that the, the biggest thing that jumped out to me after both games last week was I left the game thinking Iowa state was the hungriest team on the floor again. I didn't have to question, you know, gosh, we're playing hard, but are we really, I just thought that that really came back for them. And I think when they play that way, they're able to play through some of the mistakes that they've made that, you know, we've talked about obviously continue to try to minimize those mistakes, but I just see the, the, this, to me, what allowed this team to get off to a 12 and 0 start was their just intense, incredible energy ability to overcome mistakes. And I thought we really saw that saw them get back to that in this past week. And I think if they can continue now to, I mean, we don't have 20 games to go, right? You're, you got four, you got two weeks in front of you that I promise you as a player, you'll remember for the rest of your life, right? Like you're kind of, we're in the tournament probably, but we're not solidified. You've got four games to just let it all on the line here and punch your ticket to March. And you don't ever forget, you will never forget what these two weeks are like. So the end you we can see the finish line as far as getting to the tournament i would think that they could come in with four performances where they have the energy level like they did against iowa earlier this year or like we saw on saturday and i think if they do that they will win i think they'll win three out of the four if they mm-hmm. do that and, yeah. and 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 i and honestly you win your next three games and you go into baylor playing with house money right like you're you know you're in and you probably have a decent seed so now, I mean, you can just go and let it, you know, let it fly against them and it, and, and it, you don't have the pressure hanging over your head. So I just think for this team, it's that energy, that confidence that, that gives them the swagger they had earlier this year. You, you, you replicate that for four more games and it'll be enough to overcome whatever, you know, mistakes they make along the way. Yeah, and I think if they play the way they did on Saturday, they'll win these next three games. Like, I, I just... I mean, if I they think, shoot I, that way, this is a team that could go easily go to a Sweet 16. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, that's, you know. that's what I'm saying. They're going to be <laughs> – if they can continue to play the way they did on Saturday, they're going to be really – they're going to be really tough to beat yeah. here over the next several weeks. And, um, you know, I just – I think about what that game next Wednesday when they play Oklahoma State, uh, it'll be senior night. Like, I, I think about what that will mean for someone like George Condit yeah. who has – man – you want to talk about somebody who's experienced the highs of the highs and the lows of the lows in their four years at Iowa state, like what that kid's senior day will mean knowing that if you win and you have your eighth win in the big 12, you're likely going to the NCAA tournament a year after going 0 and 18 in the league. Like I love that for that kid. You know, I'll tell you what I don't want to see. I don't want to see a shoot 23 threes on uh, against West Virginia. I don't want to, one of the things that I think we've seen from this team from time to time that I hope we've learned is all of a sudden a couple of shots will go in or we have a nice offensive performance and we come out with a little bit more of like, well, now we can live at the three point line and we can live with jump shots. 
And I think it's understanding what allowed you to have that success as far as the, the mentality that they played with. I thought they did it against TCU. It just didn't pay off as much. They did the same thing against Oklahoma. They, they attacked, attacked, attacked offensively, and then they created their jump shots off of that, which brought their volume down, but their quality went up. I don't want to see them revert back to thinking that now we are, you know, the Fred Hoiberg Iowa State offense. As long as they remember and know what makes them go a little bit offensively, I think they'll be okay. Yeah, and then they got this one coming up on Wednesday. You mentioned it against West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia actually does play tonight against TCU. Man, West Virginia's got three games this week. It's a tough turnaround here for for Bob Huggins' team, especially when you've only won, I think, one of your last ten. Uh, man, that's that is not sound, that does not sound like a very fun week uh, for for West Virginia. Uh, man, I think with this one. It boils down as much as anything. You can't get them, let them get off to the start that they got the, out there in Morgantown. I mean, I, Iowa State did not play well on that night. But, man, I just I feel like if you don't let them dig that early hole for you, then the trajectory of the game probably is different, you know. Yeah. And West Virginia was just able to come out and bury them so quickly that it's like, and we've talked about this, when you get down fast like that, you know, a six point deficit feels like 20 when you're, because your offense just isn't good enough to immediately erase those kinds of things. So even though Oklahoma got up a good start the other day and they were able to erase that pretty quickly. So I don't know. I just, this team knows what it needs to do to be successful, right? Yeah. I mean, it's defense, it's rebounding, it's taking care of the ball. And then it's a being the more aggressive attacking team on both ends of the floor and knowing how you want to attack people in executing that properly. And if they do that, I, I, I do believe that they are more than capable of winning at three out of these four. And, you know, you never know. You win these next three, you're carrying a lot of momentum. All of a sudden, you're one of the hottest teams in the Big 12. And the Baylor game could become a, a very winnable game for them. All right. Now let's talk about uh, – let's shift gears. Let's talk about Juwan Howard yesterday. Uh I'm sure most people have seen the video uh, after the end of the Michigan and Wisconsin game. Uh, first things first, well, I, I think this entire situation is really interesting because even the things that led to it, I thought were an interesting conversation. And I think even if it had not like escalated the way that it did after the game, it would have been an interesting conversation to have. What, what did you think at the end of the game when Michigan is pressing against Wisconsin's reserves uh, and then Greg Gard takes the time out to get mm -hmm. that guy, th that group, another 10 second on the, uh, for the 10 seconds. There, was there bad blood between Greg Gard and Jawan Howard coming into this game? Not to my knowledge. Not okay. that I, and, and nothing I've read has indicated that to this point. So I, I don't, if there I was, I don't know that. that. And I didn't watch the game live. So yeah. obviously I am piecing together the clips in the context of how this happened. And I think there's just a lot of different elements to this. So we'll try to be organized now we talk about them. Yeah. Was the timeout appropriate? Did Jawan Howard have a point to be ticked off? I think if you are going to press and, and play to the final buzzer, it's hard for me to sit here and say, the other coach shouldn't do what he can to help the guys out on the floor perform their best to the finer buzz, final buzzer. Now, if Jawan Howard 
is saying, guys, get back. We're done. And Greg Gard takes a timeout so that the crowd can, you know, give it one hurrah and really rub it into Michigan. Then I say, that's a BS move. I think that Jawan thought that he was maybe trying to do something like that when Greg Gard was just trying to give his reserves a little bit more time to get the ball in. It's a 15-point game at that point or 14-point game. You know, you could say, well, Greg, just – I mean, come on, man. Why, why take the timeout, right? Like, just let it go. And at the same time, like, you could just as easily say, well, Juwan, it's a 15-point game. Like, what's going to come from pressing our mm-hmm. backups? You know what I'm saying? So I just kind of look at it and say, this probably should have never happened in the first place. I don't – I think that both coaches handled it really poorly. But as far as should this have been something that Jawan Howard was that ticked off about, in my opinion, no. No. And I think, too – you know, I get the point of calling timeout, but it's just like the ball, had, they'd hit the ball out of bounds. You're inbounding the ball. Like, it's whatever, man. Like, at that point, if if the reserves, you know, you don't want to give the reserves a turnover on their ledger if they're only going to play a minute or whatever, but like, whatever. It is what it is. You know, well, like, just let it go. And if you, if, if you're Jawan Howard and you want to, like, you take that as, you know, a sign of, you know, you're trying to show him up, right? Yeah. Okay, like you you take that with you and you get into your locker room and you the next time you play them, like remember when they did that to us, remember what you know, and you you want to make a point of it, great. You want to go vent to your coaches after the game and man, Greg's an asshole and you know, what was he like great. Right. But I just thought the way they both handled it in the line, like instead of playing the game about who's more at fault, I kind of just look at it and say, both coaches need to look themselves in the mirror and say, I should have handled that a lot better because nobody gets promoted or a raise for their conduct in the handshake line. You either get suspended or I hope this doesn't happen for Jawan, but you potentially lose your job. And so to, to, to meet, and Jawan's wagging his finger in his face and Greg guard, you know, instead of just walking by him or de-escalating the situation squares up on him, shakes his hand, grabs his hand and then puts his hand on him. Like, I mean, yeah, like that's not, that's two guys not looking to de-escalate a tense situation and get to the locker room. That's two guys, you know, playing with uh, matches and gasoline. And unfortunately it, it kind of exploded a little bit there. Right. And I will say I, I think as I've watched it more, what it seemed like Greg guard was trying to do when he grabbed Juwan was trying to keep him to walk from walking away from him. So he could explain what his yep. mindset was. And he even said after the game that he knew, and I, I think this is a little bit unfair because Juwan Howard's been in college basketball for three years and he's got some really veteran coaches on his bench. So to say that he knows that Juwan's an NBA guy, he might not know that if he calls time out there that resets the 10 seconds. And so like, I get what he's saying, but like, at the same time, it's like Juwan's been in college basketball for enough time to probably know that by now, you know, or at least, and Phil Martelli has been in college basketball for a really long time. I think that if that was what you're look, thinking, like, then it's probably not a but big I, deal. I, I but would I, say that. I, oh, go, why, ahead. go why, ahead. If I'm Greg guard, why in that moment, why do you have to explain it to him right then? It's not like you can't call Greg, uh, you can't call Juwan later you know, when, when the tempers have had an opportunity to cool a little bit and you can like, everybody has been like able to calm down 
you know, it's not the heat of the moment anymore. And you can right. call and say, okay, here's what I was thinking. I wasn't trying to make it a big deal. You know, like I was just trying to help out my guys in this scenario. Like, yeah. And, and, and I think that I agree with your point in the, in the line and, and Greg guard even said in his post game press conference, he knew Jawan was like, typically the coaches come out and shake hands first. Right. And then you go to the players mm-hmm. and he said, he, he consciously noticed Jawan went to the back of the line. So immediately, like in that moment, if you're Greg guard, I think it's probably got to be on your radar that like maybe that timeout rubbed him the wrong way. Right. So, you know, that there's a chance that you're coming to a situation where a guy's ticked off at you. So to come the way that he did with this body language and kind of just, you know, grab his hand and touch him. I'm not saying that Jawan was right to say that he thought Greg was threatening him or something like that. But like, I just didn't think Greg guard really did much to de-escalate the situation, I guess is the point that I'm making. And I think if you're him and you're his AD, like that should be addressed. Yeah. Right. Like we, we're, we're not looking to get in scrums with teams after games. the game yeah. is over. Yeah. But yeah. I would also say if you're Jawan Howard and you are aware of that rule, that almost makes my, your reaction to all this a little bit worse, worse in my opinion. Yeah. Exponentially you, worse. You know, because it's like, so you know what he's trying to do. You know, he's not trying to stick it to you or show you up. He's just, you might not agree with it, but you can at least follow the logic of it. There's really nothing to be upset about then. So I almost hope that it's just wasn't aware of the rule, you know, tough loss tensions boil over and just lost his head for a couple minutes there because I would like to see him. I don't want to see Juwan Howard get fired. I think it's really cool that one of the guys from the fab five is back coaching his alma mater, mm-hmm. but that can't happen. Right. You, that can't, that cannot happen. And yeah, because then it, the idea that he was being threatened, you know, and him saying it was self-defense on some level at that point, I want to just say like, man, Jawan, you're a seven feet tall, former N- NBA player. Look at Greg guard. Did you feel threatened by that guy? Like, Not come on, man. By the time you, by the time you, you know, smack Joe Krabenhoff or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. There was like five guys in between the two of you. So yeah. to, to yeah. say that the re like, it's not like you threw a punch right away right. because you were, you thought he was going to square up on you. Like you, people are trying to separate you. People are trying to deescalate this and you, you know, reach over and smack him in the head or whatever. And then the disappointing part about that for me is, I think there's a couple of things. One is right after that, now a couple of your players start to throw punches. Right. I don't know that that happens if they don't see you smack Joe Krabenhoff first. Because that exponentially escalates a situation. Was it already not necessary? Yes. But it would have just been some pushing and shoving, some words exchanged, things like that. And then it's over, you know, and, but it went from being, okay, this is a situation that is not good. No one should be happy about this or the way that it's being conducted but it's not a huge deal. Maybe someone gets a game suspension or something like that for something, but all of a sudden then it turns into a huge deal because you've escalated the situation exponentially. You're going to have players who are likely suspended for extended periods of time. And I'll say the way that the whole thing transpired, where it went from them being from Greg garden, Juwan being locked in their, I guess, conversation, you could put it them talking to each other and being and grabbing a hold of each other 
to where all of a sudden all these people have started to get right up in it and are pushing themselves in and interjecting them into them, themselves into a situation that really didn't have anything to do with them that mm-hmm. elevated it too. So it's like, there's a lot of people that I think take some fault here. Most of it falls on Juwan, but I think there's a lot of people here that are going to sit there and be like, man, I probably shouldn't have jumped in there to begin with and just like, let them sort it out. You know, yes. like let that, if they want to stand there and argue with each other, it is what it is, you know? And I, and it goes back to what I said before. If I'm Greg Gard, I look at it and be like, Juwan, if you're pissed off, that's a you problem, not a me problem. You got your ass kicked. Correct. Take, take your L, go home, you know? And then if you want to go in the press conference and say something, it is what it is. If you're Greg Gard and you want to say, I don't know, yeah. it's the heat of the moment. Competitors are competing and you get fired up. Stuff happens, temper flare. And we look forward to competing with them again. You know, I, I just hope that, I, it's disappointing right after the game that Jawan Howard is trying to kind of create a, a space to justify yeah. his smack and Joe Krabenhoff. Yeah. And as a guy that wants to see him stay at Michigan and keep his job, he's going to be suspended for a few games, maybe the rest of the year, no question, but I don't want him to get fired. Mm-hmm. You need to own the part that you played in that. You can be mad about the timeout. You can think it was disrespectful, you need to own the part that you played in it. You need to say, I can't, I have to be better. I have to set a better example for the guys that are looking up to me. Because if you're the AD of Michigan and that happens, you're obviously ticked. But now after the game, you don't want to take ownership of it. You're trying to kind of play it off like, well, it was self-defense. I'm just like, I want you to keep your job. So don't handle this in a way that makes it even more difficult for the AD to stick with you. Like own your part of it. Greg guard should own his part of it. I, I, I don't just think this is all Jawan Howard's fault. I think they're both played their part. Jawan went further than Greg by smacking him in the head. That can't happen, but just rather than play the blame game, both coaches can grow up a little bit and learn from this and, and everybody keep their job and everybody move forward. And then if either one of them are ever not the coach at their universities, I hope it's because they either left for something better or they didn't win enough games. I don't want to see guys lose their jobs over a handshake in the line. And I think if Jawan was in a situation where he was going to lose his job, it would not be like, this would be the, this would be the thing everybody the would point to. I was going to say, right? this is the thing everybody would point to as the reason, but this is, would not be his first strike. And that's why I, I think it would be a thing that you, if you're going to consider it, it's like, we're going to, we're doing this because it's not the first time, you know, and this has become a situation that is bordering on being a pattern of behavior, you know, and that's why I just want to see him take a little bit of ownership and find that remorse of like, you know what? I lost my head and I've got to be better because then it's like, all right, he's learning. We, this can't happen again, but I'm going to stick with them. I just think, it's dangerous when you kind of try to paint it up, paint it like, well, I mean, what do you expect from me? I mean, dude, you, there could have been a full out brawl between the players as a result of that act, you know, that, on that the road, what, what on the road. It. Yeah. On the you, road. And, I mean, and who knows if it, if it gets really escalated, who knows what happens? We've seen what can happen in a basketball arena when this kind of stuff gets going. Exactly. That's why I just, you know, it was, it was disappointing. And I think both guys could have handled it better. And I, I just hope that both of them take their ownership rather than sit here and try to play the blame game. And one other thing, cause I saw this, uh, I saw people tweeting about this and I think you maybe want to talk about this too. And I don't even know what your thoughts are on it. Cause we didn't talk about this before. 
the end the handshake thing. Yeah. This is reason. This is not the reason we need to end handshakes. If you want to end handshakes on a different day, when everybody's behaving themselves, state your case as to why we should end the handshake thing, whether it's because of COVID protocols or it's just unnecessary, whatever. That's fine. Have that argument. This was two guys not handling something overly maturely that are paid very, very well to lead young people and set an example. If you can't get through a handshake line without starting a scuffle, you shouldn't be leading young people in a really good position that you are. Yeah. That's my thought on it. I'm right there with you. And it, I can, I, I can understand the argument that people make of it just like being unnecessary, you know, Which but it's just, fine. yeah. And like, that's fine. But if they're going to do it, like, just, just grow up and just do it. You know, don't be weirdos. Like what I, are we going to do? Tell, well, let's not play the last four minutes of the game. If it's within, if it's outside of 10 points or 15 points, because, you know, we're just not sure everybody can get along and conduct themselves appropriately. You know, like when does, how far do we have to go where it's like, we're just not going to hold people responsible for keeping your head in a, in a, in a moment of competition and just doing the right thing and getting off the court, go into the locker room and throw something, do it like behind closed doors, do what you got to do to get your frustration out. But the idea that like, well, we just need to end these formal sportsmanship things because behaving ourselves is just, it, it's past, it's past us. Like, come on, that, that to me is a weak argument. And at this point, I just, I don't envision there being much love lost in the coaching community for Juwan, you know, like is, I, yeah, in the man, college coaching I, community. You like don't, I just, haven't gotten to see a lot of high profile players and he was a great player. One of the, I mean, the fab five, that's like a iconic mm -hmm. basketball. I mean, everybody knows the fab five, right? Like they were more than just a team, like, and he gets a, a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Like back and, yeah. You know, plays in the NBA forever gets to come back. Seems very likable in a lot of respects outside of these few moments that he's had. Like, I just don't want to see him, you know, kind of get alienated within the coaching community, but he's got to, it takes two, right? Like he's got to, he's got to say like, I've messed up. I've let my head to the better of me a couple of times and I need to make the improvements so that, 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 that we don't have this. I don't want to see that. That would just be, to me, that would be really disappointing for him, the university of Michigan. And just, there's going to be a lot of high profile players that want to come back and coach and I want these experiences with the universities in, in these guys to go really well. I don't want it to be something that ends like this because look, if Jawan was a player and did that, he would get suspended, but we're probably moving on after a day or two. But when you're a coach and you're the leader in the face of a organ, like it can't happen. And I yeah. think that's just something he's got to recognize setting aside that, that player mentality of like, you know, I'm not going to let anybody disrespect me and you can maybe get away with some pushing and shoving on the court to nope. There's a, I got to keep the bigger picture in mind and we just got to get off the court and I'll address this later. If you're a player and you see this happen, what's your reaction? Whew. Man. I, I mean, for me, it's just trying to get, I don't want people getting in a fight, right? Yeah, I don't yeah. want people swinging and doing things that could potentially ruin their life for more than just today, you know, get kicked out of the university or whatever. Cause I mean, if that escalates to like a malice in the palace type two thing, I mean, that, that could be life altering for a few of those guys. So if I'm a player, I'm just trying to find 
you know, whoever is thinking about going there and just saying, Hey, get the heck out of here, go in the locker room, because there is nothing positive that's going to come from people staying out on the court. Right. I would be shocked if Juwan Howard coaches again this season, uh, I think would be my general, my final thing. I, I don't, I don't know how you can make a point and hold somebody accountable if you let them go right back to coaching. And you know? I think that's probably an appropriate amount of suspension. Yeah. And I hope that he's able to, to spend that time reflecting and kind of come back a better coach for it. And, and that this is something we look back on after he's had a long, successful coaching career and saying, Hey, he got it right. He took ownership of it and, and any, but it didn't deter him. It didn't keep him from pursuing his coaching aspirations. Yeah. Because I think Juwan's a really smart guy. And I think college basketball will be more fun if Michigan is really good with him at the helm. Like I, yeah. I, I just think that that would be, it would make it more interesting, you know, to see that be the connection of it all and everything. And I don't know, man, I, it was, a. Uh, it was unfortunate because I thought it was a really great weekend for the sport where you saw, you know, Auburn goes on the road and loses at Florida, you know, Kentucky and Kansas are both playing really good ball right now. Like Texas tech goes on the road and wins in Austin. Uh, Arizona had the win they did the other night where you finally, like you're seeing Arizona's back to be in the Arizona that everybody has, has always expected to see. And then for this to end up being the big story coming out of it in the first weekend that college basketball had to itself, you know, you had Daytona 500 and the NBA all-star game, but like college, but it was college basketball weekend with no football. And then this is the story like that. Yeah. That sucks. You know, that sucks for the game and for the sport that we're getting so close to the best time of year. And it's like this, now you've got a cloud that hangs over it. It's just, it's just as unfortunate. It is. No, I agree. It was, it was just an unfortunate all around uh, situation. And like I said, I, I just, I think all that can happen now is people just take ownership of it. We learn from it and uh, we don't let it happen again. And when I say we, I mean, every coach in America, every program in America, we can't, we got to be able to get through the handshake line. I don't care. You know, even if Greg guard did pull a, a BS move, that's not going to make it better. Right. You know what I mean? Like it, it's. And if you that, really that, thought it was BS, just take your team off the floor. And go kick know. his butt, go kick his butt the next time and yeah. run the score up on him. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's fine. I, I mean, I got no problem with that. Right. If he just, if he just hadn't gone through the handshake line, just walked out like if, and you're just like, we're leaving, we're, we're done. We're going home. Right. People might, people might say some stuff, but like, whatever it's over. Just, we, no we one remembers that. We would not be discussing Michigan sportsmanship uh, no. or lack thereof for not shaking hands. You know no. what I mean? Like you and I wouldn't even be talking about it if that happened. Right. It would have been a thing that would have popped up and it would have said that Michigan didn't even shake hands. It would have been like, oh, okay. Right. Again, it comes back to we look forward to competing with them again. You know? But right. all right, man. It's uh it's a good conversation. We'll uh talk later on in the week, hopefully after another win on Wednesday and uh Talk soon. Sound good? You're a lot more fun after wins. This is much more fun after wins. That is for <laughs> sure. That is for sure. Uh, all right. We'll talk to everybody again soon. Have a great week. Peace.